welcome to EverQuest Revisited, the show that talks all things EverQuest. I'm your host, Darren. Hold on tight, because this episode is going to be a wild ride. We're about to explore this epic game from a whole new perspective, as we chat with a very special guest who has lived and breathed EverQuest in a way most of us could only dream of. From dealing with player petitions to running GM events, today's guest has seen it all. So kick back, relax, and get ready to be transported to the thrilling world of EverQuest with our very special guest, Bayo. Welcome to the show, Bayo. I'm excited to have you here with us today. But before we dive in, why don't you take a moment to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. We want to know all about how you got into EverQuest and how you became a guide. Well, it's nice to be here, Darren. Thank you for having me. My name is Justin, best known as the Warrior Bayho from the Tuner server. I started out back in May of 99. I don't think I was there for the first day, but was definitely there pretty early and started rolling just random characters. Uh, it was kind of a good time for me. I had just gotten out of college. Uh, I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I started playing random whatever. I think my first character was the wizard, high elf, and you know wandered into... Uh, Lesser Fadark got blown up by a brownie, and that was the end of that character because I couldn't find anything with a corpse and didn't know what to do. And so started over with a new one and just kind of went down that path and and then learned a bunch of different characters. About three months in, I had heard about the guide program. I don't remember exactly what the the level requirement for it was at the time, but um, I hadn't hit it. I applied anyway though, it was so early, and I was accepted. At that point, the staff and the GM who I was going to be working with. They created my guide character. It was a gnome named Tehanu the Tall. And I started doing guide work pretty early in the fall of 1999. That kind of continued through the fall, through the winter, and into the spring. Uh, when I finally decided, you know what, I want to I get back into playing for myself. So what was the guide's job in EverQuest? And how did it differ from the GM role? So the guides were like the first line for incoming petitions. We helped players with everything we could. We investigated problematic players, things we couldn't solve. We would escalate. We would help people. For some reason, their corpse was lost in a wall or something like that. Help them understand the game if needed. We weren't really able to do anything to help them in terms of combat or anything like that. In fact, I think several guides who had gotten too friendly with some of the players they met and helped them out and things like that were fired. That was kind of the role. You know, we all the petitions that, that anybody put in were usually answered by a guide first and anything they could take care of. That's what we did. So you was more of like the first protocol or any issues that may arise before the GMs got involved? Yeah, definitely. And, and we could, you know, end up handling disputes between players, disputes between guilds, especially competitions between guilds that were going after the same mobs and things like that. There was actually a, a big difference early on. Uh, guides and GMs really had a lot more power than that first year, and they started rolling back those powers at some point. Uh, I don't recall exactly the reason for it. It seemed like we weren't able to help the players as much anymore. There were a lot of rules. We weren't allowed to do as many things. We weren't allowed to do some, you know, as many GM events, those kind of things. Yeah, it definitely changed a little bit within the first year, but this first six months of guiding, you know, within that first year of EverQuest was really something special. Everybody was still leveling up. Very few people were anywhere near 50. 
um, at least, you know, for the first few months that I was doing it, guides were really respected. GMs were really expected. You know, you saw that green name. We were something that was kind of rare. You didn't get to see it very often. You didn't get to see GMs very often or, or interact with them. Almost and, like celebrities, weren't you? I know on the P99 servers, when they see a GM, they will do a screenshot, almost like a selfie with them. So probably a similar thing, quite rare to be seen, especially your GMs and guides. So people honed into you. Yeah, definitely. And it would also go the other way. There were times when entire groups of players would try to attack GMs or lure them into, uh, it's basically have to take place in a PvP area. So try to, in some way, lure them into the arena and then assault them and and try to kill them and things like that. But beyond that, those were kind of the direct interactions between players and guides and GMs. And yeah, we could sit there, we could answer questions. Early on, we were actually encouraged to basically come up with lore on our own stories. If we had, we didn't have any petitions to do. We could go around, talk to players, come up with stories, tell those stories. There was one particular time I even went into Fear Plane. And there was a plane of fear raid going on at that time. The entire raid stopped and just listened to me tell a story for, you know, 15, 20 minutes that I had made up on my own. And it wasn't canon. It wasn't something that was, you know, really part of EverQuest lore, but we were, we were encouraged to do that sort of thing early on and then encouraged not to do it when the rules changed later. When you created this story, was it straight off the fly? You had it there and you were just using your imagination at the time, or is it something you prepared? Both, actually. You know, there were times that I would come up with little stories about, you know, this dragon hidden somewhere and come up with, actually, some of the stories came from, you know, days of role playing and Dungeons and Dragons and things like that beforehand. But also, uh, there were some that I wrote down. You know, that one was one that I wrote down. Being somebody who handled petitions very quickly, we were... Uh, at least myself was very good at typing. So I ended up being able to type out those stories pretty quickly. It was really nifty to see an entire raid turn around and just, they just sat around me in a circle as I sat, you know, as I stood on a hill, little gnome telling all these level 46 to 50 people this story. And so those kind of interactions that really made it worthwhile helping people out. It really was something I enjoyed. I mean, I enjoyed it in the game as well. In fact, I went on to do that as a player as as well as much as I could. That's definitely uh, was a unique part of being able to do things early. It wasn't just about answering the petitions. There was about, you know, being part of the community a little bit. So it was nice. And that's what EverQuest is all about for me and for many players is the community. I think that's why even to this day, EverQuest has still got that feel to it with the community. And so I think, again, that suits us as players. That suits you as a guide and You've had nice experience with the community and were able to expand on that. You mentioned your tomb prior, which was the one they gave you. So they created you an actual tomb with that tomb. Did it have any special abilities or commands you could use over what a normal player could? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So they asked me what I wanted to be named and kind of the parameters were a gnome named Tehanu the Tall. Whenever the GM was on, he would make me just a little bit taller than the gnome model. And so I was always the tallest gnome on the Bertoxilis server, which is where I guided. And from the very beginning, uh, the GM had actually transported me to the, to the top of airplane, the plane of air, you know, the very top of the topmost buildings. And he told me, this is the highest place in the game. And of course, this was prior to Canaric, prior to Luke Lynn and the moon and that kind of stuff. And it was wonderful to be up there. And so 
initially airplane was actually the home for all of the guides and gms it wasn't available to players and if you know airplane there's the quest mobs that are inside of one of the islands well that is actually where the guide home used to be they hadn't made the cs home uh zone yet so whenever we went home that's where we went and there were mobs that were there that would actually sell us for free tons of different kinds of equipment so you could dress your character in many many different ways and uh, a lot of those items had special abilities invulnerability definitely being one of them so you could go swim through lava or something if you needed to uh, without any trouble whatsoever as i said before when pvp you get caught in an arena or something and players are attacking you you can just go invulnerable and you didn't need to worry about it i was going to say that would be very handy we were in the pvp zone so you answered that question before i got to say that so no that makes sense going forward yeah we had tons of commands that also went with things we could teleport anywhere in the game we had the ability to make ourselves invisible or visible to players so they wouldn't know we were there we had the ability to teleport to any zone we had the ability to teleport to any player so we could actually teleport straight from anywhere in the world to an existing player we could actually summon a player to ourselves in fact there was a a room in the canos sewers that acted like a prison and we could teleport players to this room who were being bad training everybody or you know whatever the case was and they were unable to get out of that room. There were no exits. There were no entrances. So you could teleport yourself there and then summon them there and just leave them there until a GM was online and able to take care of the problem. So that was one way they made it so that we didn't have to have a GM on 24 hours a day, that the guides could actually handle some of the bigger problems just by moving these characters. Occasionally, this did backfire. <laughs> There was a guide on one of the servers that really hated uh, the Uber Guild, and this this ended up happening uh, when Bichon's Peak came out. Nobody was keyed for it, of course. And so he had actually teleported into the middle of Bichon's Peak underneath one of the dragons, and of course he's not aggro, because guides and GMs aren't, aren't aggro to mobs at all. And he started summoning one by one everybody in that guild into the middle of Bichon's Peak and just, and just having them slaughtered. Of course, he was fired for doing this. It became a huge uh, mess. The GMs had to clean it up. I think because of the rules that were there, they couldn't actually bring the players in to loot their corpses. So they had to like remake all of the items for everybody you know that was in that guild, things like that. So powers definitely did exist, and they were used mostly to uh, investigate what was going on, to track and see. So you could invisible, you know, yourself go and see what's happening between players, see if somebody really is training as somebody petitioned, that sort of thing. So they could be used, but also some sort of abuse them a little bit by the sound of it. So, but it sounds like he was dealt with because you said he got fired. Yeah. And, and granted, you know, just being a guide, all you did was get to play EverQuest for free. You didn't get paid or anything like that. It was a role, which was like you said, it was a volunteer role really, wasn't it? Definitely. Yeah. You, you had to be there. You had, you had to want to do it. That, that was what was involved. And like I said, it was it, it became about helping people and, and a way to help people. So it was mainly dealing with those petitions, 
making sure that people are enjoying the game, that, you know, something didn't happen that was not supposed to happen. There was an entire guidebook that you had to read and learn, including the different commands and the different zones. So, you know, you heard me earlier refer to the plane of air as airplane or fear plane or hate plane. Those yeah. are the actual names you would use in the commands. And you can actually, um, believe it or not, you can see these commands. You can find them online or you can even spin up your own EverQuest server. You've talked a lot about Project 1999. It was initially built on an EQ emulator. You can actually run an EverQuest emulator on your own computer, go in and be your own GM. And so you can, you can actually experience, level yourself, give yourself whatever gear you want. Even the guide gear, even the GM gear is available in the database. So all of that is stuff you can see. And those commands are, are actually available online for you to browse through if you want to, to see exactly what was possible back then by the GMs and the guides. So, I mean, obviously now with EverQuest, I'm sure there are GMs that really see them. I know they pop on very rare, so they may pop on to do sort of your special events during the holidays, sort of Easter and that's Christmas and that sort of thing. But other than that, I've not really come across any since I've been back playing EverQuest. I know P99 has got more active GMs because, again, like yourself, they're volunteers, they're fans of the game. They've done exactly what you said. They spun up their own server, and they've got, obviously, a lot of people interested on P99 to experience the original EverQuest experience, if that makes sense. So they got GMs there. I know they get a lot of disputes from speaking with other other players on P99. It's probably very similar to what you had to deal with, which brings me on to the next question, which is, as a guide... How did you handle player disputes and petitions? What was your style for that? Um, so, so for me personally, uh, it, I think it was easier earlier when I was, you know, when I was a guide doing things because there was still a lot of respect for the GMs and the guides. And so if there was a particular dispute, almost always you could show up, talk things out. Sometimes you would show up a little bit early just to see which side is doing what and you could tell if somebody was being a bully or not. So you had that information, you know, a little bit of investigation ahead of time, and then you could confront the players and work it out. And typically, whatever you worked out would be respected, and the players would go on their way. So that was that was kind of a nice thing when we were more respected and, and that kind of thing. One of the first things that I actually witnessed when the GM was taking me around and teaching me about petitions and about investigating and that sort of thing was a player um, who had her gear stolen from another player. So I remember we were in Kelethin, we were up in the trees, and it was a naked, she was a half-elf. I don't remember her class, I think a paladin, maybe a ranger, whatever. She was the one who had submitted the petition. She had lost her corpse in Crushbone, I think in the water or somewhere like that, and really couldn't get it out, it was too low level. So she had, of course, given somebody the right to drag her corpse. The person ended up stealing everything off of her corpse and selling it. Obviously, this poor distraught half-elf, it was a, a male elf who had taken everything, and he was brought right there, and the GM was talking to them both. The player really had taken advantage and basically was telling the GM, there's nothing you can do. I've read the rules. She gave me permission. I had the permission to pull her corpse, to take anything from her corpse, just by virtue of the fact that she's the one that granted me permission to do so. And the GM was clearly getting frustrated. 
And he, even I remember emoted tapping his foot impatiently. And, <laughs> and then suddenly the defending player uh, went link dead. And I remember sending a message to the GM and saying, oh my God, he, you know, he pulled his cord, he logged out. <laughs> and the GM just smiled at me and started handing gear to the, to the victim player and started, you know, he basically was creating pieces one by one and giving them to her. And after a few minutes, right after, you know, the, the victim had, had, had been given all this new gear and was all, all geared up, uh, better than the gear that was stolen. The other player logs back on and he is naked, totally naked. The GM had stripped him of all of his gear completely and gave it to her and gave it to her. <laughs> and when he recognized that, I mean, he's very upset, but the GMs at this time, like I said, they were the ultimate power. They were not really bound by many rules, you know, in the fall of 99. It was great to see. It was great to see, you know, somebody saying, this is my server. This is a server I'm assigned to. You know, he wasn't doing anything unfair, I don't think. I agreed with what he did. I think most players would. Justice had been served. So obviously there was events in the game. I know obviously that was more done by the GMs. Do you spill any beans on some of the crazy events you were a part of with the GMs on EverQuest? And do you know what went into the planning for those events? There were two basic different kinds of events. There were the very large events that the GMs would do either for a holiday or for the progression of the story, sort of like leading up to an expansion. Uh, and those, especially the ones that were leading up to an expansion, were choreographed and written probably by writers and things like that as very much a part of what was going on. And the only one that I, I was directly involved in was actually a parade of Dark Elves. It was a uh, very high-level Dark Elves. I got to play level 50 Necromancer. And I remember us us walking through different zones. There was a story that was kind of being relayed at the same time as to what was happening, what we were doing. So that was very well planned. I remember some players trying to attack and just immediately being death-touched. Uh, so in, in general, very quickly, you know, people knew not to attack these Dark Elves. At this point, very few people are actually in the game at level 50 anyway, and attacking a whole caravan of level 50s, probably not a good idea. But that was a major event, I think, leading up to uh, the release of Kinnerick. I think it started at Kinnerick City, and I don't remember where we went. I don't know if we went to Kithikor, but that was kind of a really nifty event. And so there, there were those types of events, and then there were the holiday events, like Halloween and things like that, where they would basically get to play different kinds of mobs or the GMs would spawn different kinds of mobs in strange places. I remember one happening in the Ocean of Tears early on. This is, I think this was during the second expansion, or sorry, the first expansion during Kinnerick. I remember actually probably two or three Cloak of Flames were dropped by some of the mobs. I wasn't part, I was actually a player for this event. I wasn't part of the guiding at that time, I was very heavily involved as a player in Kinnerick. Those kind of events, they could spawn whatever creatures they wanted. 
And they could also have, you could definitely tell that some of the, the, the creatures were actually played by guides or other GMs. And those type of events were really nifty as well. And then there were the small events. And early on, the guides actually had a list of events we could go through and we could tell a GM, hey, the next time I log on, I'd really like to do this event. And if the GM approved it, even if the GM wasn't online, they would just make the characters and put them in your account. You know, one of the ones that I really liked the most and that I did, a, you know, a couple times over uh, was a very simple one, you know, and it was sometimes really nice to do these for the low level characters in the game. And so this one was one that we did in Oasis back when Southern, you know, I think uh, Battletoad was talking about Northern Row, Southern Row, and Oasis. And so we would have a baby troll. And so we, we would have two guides. One would play mommy troll and the other would play the baby troll. And I used to love playing the baby troll because the troll was actually shrunk because the GMs could actually shrink the character. There were times I remember running around the size of a fly or, you know, a hundred foot tall gnome uh, as the GM would just play around with us. But anyway, he, he would shrink, you know, the character was shrunk down to, you know, about a quarter sized troll and it was a baby troll and the mother and baby would come to the dock in Oasis and they would hail some characters and they would say, look, you know, the mommy troll, I really need to, I need to go take care of something. I need you to babysit baby troll. A couple of players or a group of players would say, okay, well, you know, we can go ahead and do this. They were excited. You know, this is something new, something dynamic. And so mommy troll would go off and disappear. The baby troll would start getting curious and wandering around. And so the players would start following it. And then the baby troll would start hitting mobs, caimans, spiders, whatever, trying to actually get itself killed. And the players would have to heal the baby troll. They would have to kill the mobs. Uh, you know, and you could, you know, you know, say goo goo gaga or, you know, me hit, you know, just having fun with, with what you were doing. And so after some time, either the baby troll would survive and the mom would come back and reward the players. Or if the baby troll died, the mother would immediately come back, ask what happened, and attack the players. And if the players were able to defeat the mom troll, then they would get the loot off of the, the corpse of the mother troll. That was one of the most fun ones that I remember. The other one, you know, was also relatively simple. Three massive gnolls outside of Black Burrow. Burrow. Yes, yeah, outside of Black Burrow. That's the no place from what I remember. <laughs> Definitely outside. I mean, and I'm talking about like hundred foot tall gnolls attacking. And this was, this was actually a much stronger event. All three of these gnolls controlled by GMs or guides given a ton of hit points, basically raid type mobs. And so they would go around chasing initially and then trying to kill some bigger players if they, if they went, but the word would spread across the server and people would flock. And you would see ending up with, you know, 100 plus people in the zone, all attacking uh, these massive gnolls and taking them down. And of course, the loot would be on the corpses of the gnolls once they were able to kill them. So things like that that made it dynamic early on. Uh, like I said, these, these things were wonderful. Uh, it really showed an involvement with the GMs. Unfortunately, it did change within the first year. I'm not quite sure why that happened. I don't know if it was different management uh, or what have you. Uh, at some point, also, they ended up having fewer GMs. So you had GMs that had to, to deal with four servers instead of just one and things like that. You know, the people that really experienced them would come back to us 
talk about them, we'd hear it, you know, in the rumors and the whispers, you'd hear it as they were going on. It was wonderful because people would be shouting about it. People would come into the zone and say, where are they? You know, and, uh, and it was just one of these, the server would come together to overcome a very massive challenge. And this is largely before you were, you were seeing organized raiding and things like that. So it sounds very awesome. Probably missed that. The GMs were, like you said, split across the servers. They had a lot more to deal with, so they didn't have time to do these events. Now, it sounds like a really good time to be in EverQuest. So after the events, did players give you much feedback? What did they usually say? So after the events, it was hard to get feedback directly because players didn't know who was actually controlling. They were aware that somebody was controlling the different mobs, but you didn't really want to tell them, especially on the ones like the Knoll the large gnolls, because those type of events ended up killing a lot of people. So some people could be upset if you ended up killing them. In fact, we would get petitions and GMs would do some limited help. You know, if somebody really didn't want to be part of it and they were really upset about it, perhaps they were, they were resurrected or something. I'm not sure exactly what the GMs did to help them out because some people just, just want to play the game and don't want to be part of that. But one of the, one of the cool things was, of course, you know, especially after the smaller events like the troll and the oasis event, you could log out, log back in and be invisible. And then you could hear people talking about it in the zone. And so you unfortunately didn't get direct feedback from the players beyond the rumors, beyond what was going on during the event, how excited they were to be there when an event was happening was really kind of the great feedback that you got. With the exception of a few petitions, mostly from people saying they were upset by something or being killed by an event, or occasionally you would rarely get a petition saying, hey, that was awesome, thanks, do more of that. That was kind of the limitation of the feedback, because you really didn't want the players knowing that it was you specifically who was commanding a particular character in an event. So it's probably sort of our channel and in general chat and shouts where you've probably seen a lot of the feedback from, I suppose, people talking to each other. Oh, that was a great event or cool, that was a good laugh. Was that mainly what you would see? Definitely. And, and the other nice thing was that, especially early on with, with some of these events, people would get items that nobody had seen before. And so seeing them there and watching people inspect them, talk about, you know, the loot they had gotten and that kind of thing that just wasn't available or most people in the game didn't know about was fantastic. People got excited. Do you remember anything about the loot which was handed out? I don't really, to be perfectly honest. There is, uh, this is kind of getting a little onto another topic, the one item I really remember from some of my guiding was very early in Kinneric. You may have been probably in the Frontier Mountains there were these goblin slavers whips that would drop from a particular mob. I don't recall his name. They were magic, five damage, 23 delay whips. And they were dual wieldable. They could be wielded by most classes. Even classes did not have the one hand slash ability. So they really couldn't use it, but they could still kind of hold the whip. So they were kind of this nifty item over time. Well, what a lot of people didn't know, and in fact, the developers and the GMs didn't know is that when Canaric was released, they had actually messed up the damage and delay in the database. And so they were 23 damage, 
five delay whips, which as you can imagine at that time in the game, and I don't think you can actually go below an eight in terms of delay, but anyway, that is hands down a godlike weapon at that time. And the reason that I remember this so well is because of this reversal of the statistics and the fact that they were magic, there was actually a group of like eight, maybe nine players. It was less than two groups that were using them and they got caught killing bots with them. I don't know if they got in trouble for it or not. This is how, as far as I know, the EverQuest GMs and the developers found out that they had actually switched the damage and delay on this particular whip. And so that is kind of the item that I really remember from my time as a guide completely. I don't really remember too much about what dropped other than, as I mentioned earlier, you know, some of the Halloween events actually dropped Cloak of Flames and things like that. So I spent recently, because in the new EverQuest, or shall I say EverQuest Live, they've done Frontier Mountains. You've got two zones now. So you've got, I call it mirror zones, original EverQuest Frontier Mountains, and then you've got the new expansion Frontier Mountains. So I spent a lot of time there, and you go up there around about sort of 100, and it's a good zone to get from 100 to probably 115. I knew there was something called a Whip Crackers. There are also Sarnaks there. And I know one of the Sarnaks carried a whip. I don't know if it was the same whip. I think it's called a Goblin Slaver's Whip. I don't remember if it's a goblin that drops it. Sarnak, to be perfectly honest. I just remember that being this this really kind of like wow moment for everybody. You know, when when the story was told to us by the GMs. I wasn't there when, you know, I wasn't one of the people that investigated or, or saw the players actually down in box, but so I'm not sure. I, I honestly don't know. It would have been in the original Frontier Mountains, I'm pretty sure, Canaric Zone. Good to know, though. I just logged into my character in, in uh, Beho, and he's level 90 right now. So maybe if I start messing around again, I, uh, I'll end up spending sure. some time there and see. Yeah, Frontier Mountains is a good zone for level up, and it's good XP. If you've got a good high-level SK, you could just sit there and leech. Oh. And you, see, I'm I'm a warrior, man, through <laughs> and through. I, I'm not going to bow to an SK, even if they are better at the job of taunting everything. It's more about, I think they got the damage shields or something. They got something on them. Um, I'm sure listeners know exactly what I'm on about. So when they get hit, they I think it's an AA. They get hit. They get energy back, I believe, or HP back from the mobs that hit them. So it's almost like invincibility sort of them i believe um and they well, can do i have a shield problem. i really like my shield and, and we may not have that fancy spell casting stuff but i still love my warrior okay guys thanks for tuning in we've had a blast chatting with bayo but unfortunately we're all out of time for today don't worry though we'll be picking up right where we left off on the next episode you definitely won't want to miss the rest of our discussion Before you go ahead and hit that stop button, I've got some news that you definitely don't want to miss. I've got some amazing guests lined up for future episodes, and believe me, they're going to blow your mind. But here's the thing. I'm always on the lookout for class experts and raid leaders to join me on the show. So if you think you've got what it takes to share your knowledge and experience with our listeners, then I want to hear from you. You can hit me up on Twitter at EQRevisited, or drop me an email at EQRevisited.com at outlook.com. 
Don't be shy, people. This is your chance to show off your knowledge and skills. Thanks for listening, and until next time, safe journey. <laughs>